Good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children ages two years through first grade make their way in that direction to junior worship. If you're here for the first time, it's a special, and you have children that age, it's a special program that we provide for our kids so that the preacher doesn't put them to sleep. And you just follow the adults going that direction with the kids. Of course, the adults don't get put to sleep, do they? As they're going there, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn this morning to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, we're going to be in the middle of that chapter this week. And then we're going to look at the remainder of that chapter next week. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly. And that is the offering that we bring to God. Our church's tradition now is not to pass trays, but is to make it possible for you to worship God in four ways. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can go online to our website and follow the easy instructions there. Or if you're here today in person, um, you can drop your contribution off at the box there right in the middle of the auditorium on your way out. And if you're not here in person but you are with us via live stream, we are um, humbled and honored to have you with us. Um, I know that Karen and I have one of our daughters named Darina who is with us in Brno. And Darina means the world to know that um, we're with you like this today. Joshua chapter 10. I know it may come to a surprise to, to many of you when I speak, but I come from the deep south. <laughs> it's hardly, hardly a week goes by, a day that goes by, that somebody doesn't go, where are you from? I never thought I had an accent, but evidently I do. I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. And when I was 10 years old, we moved to the city of Franklin, Tennessee. It was just a, a few miles south of Nashville. And if you know that area of Middle Tennessee, it is filled with the painful, dark history of our Civil War. And one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War was a battle that was fought in the town where I lived in for many years. It was the Battle of Franklin. The morning after this battle, there were some 9,000 bodies strewn over the battlefield, dead or dying. Two-thirds of them were Confederate fatalities. One of the really sad stories of the Battle of Franklin is the story of a, a young man named Todd Carter. He was born and raised in Franklin. Then he went away for two years in the war. And, and then he finally hadn't seen his family in two years. And finally he was on his way back home. Uh, but his group got caught up in the battle and he was killed before he was able to see his family in this painting that you're looking at of the Battle of Franklin. In the background is what is known of as his home the Carter House. And I tell you that story because as we look at a battle today, as we talk about these battles, they're a long time ago, there's a big group of soldiers, but no, there are names and faces and children and fathers and, and sons. These are real stories, real people. The Battle of Franklin was a blow to the Southern Army. It decimated the army of Tennessee. 
14 southern commanders became casualties. This was more than any other battle in all of the Civil War. There were six generals that were killed in this battle. And a unique thing about this battle after it was over, the bodies of four of these generals were placed on the back porch of the home that you see on this picture. It's called the Carnton House. Four generals laid out side by side. It's a sad picture of a very humiliating defeat. As I was reading through Joshua chapter 10 and reading this story, it's this picture, I think, and pictures that came to mind of the Battle of Franklin. And though this battle that I just shared with you happened centuries and centuries after the story that we're going to look at today, it's very similar. It's very bloody. And it's going to get more so in the weeks to come. At the end of today's story, we're going to see the story of five generals, or we would call these five kings, who were defeated, and their dead bodies were hanging side by side from trees. Earlier, they had initiated this battle, and it was a response, as we saw last week, to this alliance that Israel had fought with the Gibeonites. And these five generals, kings, came together with their city-states with the idea in mind, if we can weaken this alliance and destroy the Gibeonites, then we can have an upper hand against the Israelites. But the Israelites, knowing they were in a covenant with the Gibeonites, as we saw last week, they rushed to the side of the Gibeonites, and they fought alongside them. And, and God prolonged the day. As Joshua said, Lord, could you just make the sun stand still? And God heard that prayer. And so that's what he did. And the Israelites got the upper hand with the enemy. But these five kings, instead of staying with their soldiers in order to survive, they escaped and went and hid in a cave. So I want to pick up reading there. We'll pick up the story there in verse 16. Chapter 10. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Machida. And it was told to Joshua. The five kings have, have been found hidden in the cave at Machida. And Joshua says, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear God, guard. Do not let them enter their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all of the people returned to Joshua in the camp at Machida. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Verse 22, then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and breathe those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so. And brought those five kings out to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they had brought these kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. 
Be strong and courageous. For the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave which remains to this very day. So there's another stone memorial. So many stone memorials that we see in the book of Joshua. This one with a very painful reminder. One of the elephants in the room of the book of Joshua are all of these battles and all of these killings that take place, such as I just read, and we're going to see more of them in the future. Battles and killings that were carried out by God's people, the Israelites, at God's instruction. And it leaves you with some questions. How do you reconcile that with the God of love? How do you reconcile all that with the Jesus that we know from the, old, from the New Testament? Next week, I'm going to spend a whole lesson addressing those questions. We, we, we just can't ignore it, even though it would be pleasant to do so. We must talk about it. Before today, what I really want to show you, I, as we know, and I'm going to bring this up next week, that this story and this treatment of these five kings and the treatment of their people is, is primarily God's punishment upon sin. And so I want to approach this lesson from a, a figurative point of view. And I want us to share with you lessons that we can learn and what our approach to sin should look like and what it should be. And I understand and I, I hope that you're here, I pray that you come, that there are some of you who church is very new to you and the Bible language is very new to you and the word sin is a, not a very common word that you're very familiar with and, and sadly I also understand that the word sin is a word that's becoming more and more lost in the language of the church. So I want first, before we talk about it, to define it. Sin is wrongdoing as defined by God from Scripture. It can be things that you do, your behavior, or it can be things that you don't do that you should, your neglect. It can be attitudes of your heart or it can be words that you speak. Any or all of these things that we do that hurt God, that hurt others, and that are destructive to our own lives. You could say that sin is basically disobedience to God. And if I have a, what's he trying to say sentence, this is it. There are times when we need to face the sin in our lives with fearless confrontation. 
That's one of the main lessons I draw from this story. As I mentioned to you last week, the promised land was not a problem-free land. Though God had given them the victory, he had given them the land, they still had to fight for it. Their effort was still necessary. And the same is true for us. Our sin is defeated. That's true. Jesus conquered it on the cross and in the empty tomb. But we still, let's be honest, it's defeated, but we still struggle with it. Or we should. We still must fight against it. What does that mean? How do you do that? And what does that look like? And so I want to share with you, there are many answers to that question. But if I really hone in on this story, there's three principles of how this is at play from this story. Number one, you'll have to, if you're taking notes, you'll have to write these down. I don't have them on the screen. Number one, your sin must not be kept secretly hidden. Your sin must not be kept secretly heaven. You notice when Joshua discovered that the kings were in a nearby cave and they were hiding, he said, okay, let's put a rock in front of the cave. Let's go back to battle. And then after battle, he says, pull the rock out. Let's bring them out. Let's face them and let's take them out of their hiding place and let's confront them. Now, a little background history. We have to understand, earlier in Deuteronomy, God had told the Israelites through Moses, he says, now look, when you go into the promised land and you go to battle, you cannot leave any of the Canaanites there. You can't do that. If you do, they're going to turn around and they're going to influence you away from God and into idolatry. And as we finish the book of Joshua and we move into Judges, we see that the Israelites thought they knew better than God because they decided, nonsense, we don't have to do that. Let's just leave them here. Let's let them be our neighbors. Okay, so maybe they might be an influence. So we'll just make them slaves. That's in the sense that we'll just keep them under our control. But as God had predicted... That which they thought they could control turned around on them and began controlling them, turning them away from God. You see, listen, you don't control sin. You don't. You don't control evil. You don't manage it, as some of us are trying to do. You don't keep it locked up in a cave. You don't make it your slave. You don't keep an eye on it. You don't keep it hidden in a closet or it's going to seep into your life. It's going to grow and fester. And that's what you're attempting to allow to remain in your life and keep under your control is going to turn and eventually control you. It's kind of like you've heard me share before. You just don't coexist in the same house with rattlesnakes. So let me ask you, What's in your cave? What do you have hidden away in the closet of your life? And you're fooling yourself with it thinking, I can manage this. I can control this. We make the mistake of leaving things alone in our lives that actually need to be confronted with courage, thinking, No one really knows about this. I'm not hurting anyone. Wrong. I'm not really hurting myself. 
wrong. I've got this under control. That is self-destructive thinking. I've heard it said, you are no healthier than your secrets. So what are your secrets? What are the secret sins that you've got in your cave with a rock over them? And you think it's a secret when actually it's not. We read in Romans chapter 2, it tells us that God is fully aware of them and he will judge men's secrets. And so, first of all, we learn from this story Sin must not be kept secretly hidden. Take the rocks out, bring it out of the cave, whatever it is. Secondly, so that's what not to do. So what do you do? Second, we we learn you must expose your sin. First of all, don't keep it hidden. But second of all, you got to go public. You got to expose it. We read in the story that Joshua brought these kings out of the cave. He laid them on the ground side by side so that everyone could see them. He then identified each one of them so everyone would know exactly who they are. And then he had the chiefs of his army walk up to them and take their feet and place their feet on the necks of these kings. Now, this gives us a a reminder or, or brings to our mind the passages of the New Testament of the defeat of Satan and sin. In Romans chapter 16, we read, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 27, God has put all things under his feet. These two passages are reflective of the prophecy that's given of Satan's defeat in Genesis chapter 3. This was a sign of a crushing defeat. But you might look at that and go, Joshua, these are These are kings. You're going to put your feet on their necks? Do you, have, do you really, is that really necessary? That's embarrassing. It's not nice. I think sometimes we're way far too nice with sin. Joshua, do you really have to bring them out in the open in full view of everyone in public and identify each one of them Yes. Sin must be brought out of the darkness of the caves of our lives and into the light. Exposed for exactly what it is. Identified by name for what it is. And sadly, that is counterculture. Our culture is doing just the opposite. It's taking that which is wrong and now redefining it as right. And taking that which is wrong and redefining it is right, making sin something that is acceptable, palatable, and less offensive. We see here in this story, as we're looking at it in a figurative sense, what it means to confess. Openly, honestly confessing our sin to God and to one another, and even to ourselves. Things that we're suppressing and pretending like even to ourselves aren't there It's admitting what is going on in my life and turning to God and others for help. 
It was really awkward for my doctor when he had to tell me that I had cancer. I felt sorry for him. He even said to me, Eddie, I, 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 know, that, um, I know that I'm using the, the C word. Nobody wants to hear the C word. And then he opened up a file and he brought out pictures of my cancer. I mean, really? I had an MRI. This is what it looks like. This is where it is. Well, that's not nice. How hurtful. How judgmental. I, I'm offended. No. <laughs> I need to know what's going on. I need to know what it is and where it is so I can fearlessly confront it. I needed to know where in the darkness of my body this resides. I think, church, we need to use the S word. Sin. To shine light onto our darkness, not to shame, but as a diagnosis, but to put ourselves on the path of healing. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, we are told, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's a path of healing. I believe that there's a great need in this church. There's a great need in our life groups. There's a great need in our families. There's a great need in our relationships. There's a great need in our marriages. There's a great need in our friendships to be open, honest, safe places of transparency and authenticity and confession for healing. Your sin must not be kept secretly hidden. That's what I learned from this story. Secondly, it's hard, it's embarrassing, but we got to get it out and we got to put light on it. Well, what do you do next? This is, you think it's been rough so far. (laughs) Here we go. Your sin must be put to death. So of this story, after they laid them out and put their feet on them, it says Joshua struck them. And that basically, I'm guessing, means he took a sword and he killed them. And then he hung them on five trees. Again, I'm thinking, Joshua, is that really, did you really have to do that? Is that really necessary? Joshua, that's cruel, that's harsh, that's extreme. Their POWs just locked them up and put bars over the cave until this war is over. No. As God had told them, and as they learned, they learned the hard way, you leave them. And even attempt to put them under your control. And they're going to influence you to your own destruction. You see, here it is. When it comes to sin, we're called to be ruthless, uncompromising, no negotiating, taking no prisons. I'm talking about your sin. Do you understand that? I'm not talking about me to you. I'm talking about right now. Well, there's time we address one another, but I'm really using the word your intentionally here. 
Your sin must be put to death or it will put you to death. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 we read, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature that means your sinful nature Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18 he says if your hand or your foot let's just go with your foot if your foot causes you to sin just put a band-aid on it put a sock over it and keep an eye on it I mean of all things you don't want to get rid of your foot you need it Jesus says it's harsh cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter. These are Jesus' words. These are not my words. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the fire of hell, eternal fire. And if your right eye causes you to sin, put salve on it, put a patch over it where nobody can see it and hope that it's going to get better. No, Jesus gets kind of gross. He doesn't say, have it surgically removed. He says, take your hands and just pluck it out, gouge it out. It's better for you, he says, to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. Notice he doesn't say if your hair follicle causes you to sin or your fingernail or your appendix. He speaks of things that are precious to us. Things that we can't imagine doing without. (laughs) It's radical. It's brutal. It's uncompromising and it's immediate putting to death of sin. And the Bible basically has got a word for this. The first one was confession, expose it. The next word here is repentance. It's identifying and confronting, not just speaking about it, but now I've got to do something about this. Identifying things in my life, confronting things in my life that need to stop, that need to go Now, today, not gradually. So, what is that in your life? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's your language, a manner of speech. Maybe it's a relationship you're in. Maybe it's some unhealthy hobby. Maybe it's an attitude like pride or hatred, or maybe it's anger that you're tolerating, or critical spirit, or maybe it's laziness, gluttony, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's racial prejudice, maybe it's a place that you frequent, maybe it's a form of entertainment, maybe the thing that needs to go is your phone, or your computer, or your television. And we look at repentance in Scripture, and it's, it's basically got two pieces to it. It's an initial step we take that accompanies baptism in coming to Christ, but it's a continual way of life after that as well. And listen, you just got to know it's not easy. It's hard. Cutting off your hands or your feet or plucking out your eyes or putting these five guys on the... It's not like, wow, that's awesome, isn't it? The right thing to do is very often not the easy thing to do. And we were looking at, well, if this is hard, it must not be what God wants me to do. You're not reading the Bible. It's hard. 
And that's why we got two things that are real big barriers. It's our, our pride and our, our cowardice. Our pride, let's just keep this hidden. I'll pretend like it doesn't exist. I'll pretend in front of God and everybody's just pride. And then there's cowardice that keeps us from stepping up and fearlessly confronting what we know we need to. And I think that's that cowardice and pride. That's why this passage says, as Joshua is speaking to his commanders, don't be afraid. Because that, I don't want to do that. Be strong and courageous. We are called to go to war with sin in our lives with a fearless confrontation. Now, I understand that this is not a happy, clappy sermon. Get that. There's nothing pleasant or pretty ending a story with, and those five kings were hanging dead on a tree side by side. That's not a pretty picture. But the darkness of this story, it points us to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it points us to a picture of Jesus hanging on a tree, on the cross. You see, the story of these five kings reminds us that the wages of sin, the just punishment for sin is death. Yes, your sin and mine must be put to death. But this is why we call it good news. This is why it's incredible. This is why we sing about it. This is why we worship him because of it. Because Jesus came and all of this pain and harshness and radical extreme behavior for sin, he took upon himself on the cross in your place because he loves you that much. Listen, your struggle and your victory over sin and death, it is accomplished. It is finished. It is done. It's simply now for you to take it. Have you? Well, how, I don't, what do you mean by that, Eddie? What does that look like? By accepting and believing in Jesus as the Son of God. By saying, I'm done with that, I'm turning from that. That's repentance. By confessing Jesus is Lord and by being baptized into Christ, receiving symbolically through that act what he did for you. But then the fight doesn't end at that point. You must continue to fight sin with a fearless confrontation. So the question is, are you? Or are you living with it? And you've been that way for a long time. Tolerating what you shouldn't tolerate. Well, how do you fight? Weren't you paying attention? There's three ways. You don't keep it secretly hidden. You expose it through open confession. And you put to death whatever it is in your life that needs to go with a fearless confrontation. It'd be more comfortable just to leave it there. But I'm asking now the Holy Spirit to hone in on you and your heart. What does that mean for you personally and practically? I'm going to ask God to help us answer that question in prayer. Let's stand together. I'm going to say a prayer and then in, at the end of this prayer, it's not going to be the end of prayer. We're going to continue praying in song and I want to encourage you 
If you've come this morning carrying a heavy burden, I want to ask you to reach out to your shepherds. They're here to pray with you, but there are not enough of them to cover everyone here and the needs that are here. And there are a lot of you here as I'm looking out over the crowd of, who are carrying some really heavy stuff. And so church, you know who those people are. And it would just be so perfect if you would step out, go give them a hug and pray for them. If you're that person and nobody's coming to you, be bold and reach out and ask them, uh, someone to pray with you. Let's pray. I'll start out asking these questions in prayer. What's in your cave? Where is it? What is it? What does it mean for you to expose it and put it to death today? What do you need to confess and be done with? Oh, Father, we thank you that this story in Joshua 10 doesn't end in Joshua 10. If it did, we'd be incredibly depressed. But we thank you that it points us to Jesus that you, Lord Jesus, took our place on the tree. And we thank you for your promise in Scripture that if we come to you and just open our hearts in confession, that you promise to forgive us and to heal us. Oh, Lord, give us courage to face with fearless confrontation whatever it is that's in our lives. We may live and walk with you in victory. We offer this song to you in prayer. We come to you now and to one another in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.